All right, well, it's been good to worship God together so far this morning, and um, I hope that as we spend some time in His Word, that it will be helpful and profitable for each of us. I don't know everyone's situation. I don't know everything everybody's going through. I, there's no way for me to know everything going on in your head, and there's no way for you to know what's going on in my head, and that's usually a good thing. Uh, that caused some problems in Jesus' relationships with people, the fact that He knew what was in their heart and what was in their head, although... You know, he was able to address some things that were very pointed and very specific for them. So, I don't know anything that you could use this morning, but I'm hopeful that the things we're going to look at are across the board just beneficial for us. Whether it applies to a specific situation that you're going through or, or not, um, I hope that it'll be helpful. So, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, where our reading was. And we'll get into that in a second. We'll read that in just, uh, in just a second. One of the worst things that you can say to a kid is that they're weird or that something they do is weird. I don't care how independent they seem or how comfortable they, they are in their own skin. Being weird is not something that a kid wants to be. And I remember when I was in uh, Tennessee in the church I was with there that there was, um, I don't know, there, there were some kids that were a little different than the others. And I guess there was you know, kind of the normal ones, if you will, quote unquote, the cool ones. And then there were the others. And um, I mean, I recognized there were some differences and there were things that they did and said. I was like, I would just kind of shake my head and be like, wow. But that was the case with all of them. But anytime, you know, the ones in one group would be like, man, those kids are weird, you know, and they like grew up around these people. And, you know, they would still say, you know, they're they're weird. And, And I would hear that. And then I started realizing that, you know, you got to say something about that. You got to say, "Hey, you know, cut that out. Stop saying that." But that that wouldn't really work. Uh, they they still do it. Uh, so what I started doing was I would start telling them, "Well, you know what? You're weird too. Let me let me list out the ways you're weird." And uh, I didn't try to like wreck their confidence or anything like that. <laughs> but just you know, give them an example. Be like, "Hey, remember this thing? Yeah, that was really weird. Okay, we all say weird things. We all do weird things." And it's because of how we define it. It's because we think that there's a norm when in actuality there isn't much of a norm as far as people and their actions. I mean, there's, I mean, a wide range of things that people do and say. Anything in that is the norm when it comes to people. Um, then when I was in, in Florence and uh, I got really close with a lot of the high school kids there as well. And same thing, except there I noticed that uh, I also had a little bit longer with some of those uh, high school kids, so got to be closer, so I, I was even more honest with them, and uh, I, I realized that there were a few of them that they did not like to hear that, and so what I, what I started realizing just watching high school kids, which I don't know if that's the best way to uh, gauge and, you know, people and to learn uh, things about people is to look at high school students, but, but I, I realized that we really all are very odd people in our own way. We're all unique. Um, not to say that there aren't similarities, but we're, we're all a little weird. I mean, I, I would imagine that if, uh, if Richard and I and Robin, if the three of us, if we were buddies and we'll toss in Kelly, we'll toss in Michelle, we'll toss in Angela, if, if all of us were running in the same crew when we were kids uh, in, the, in a neighborhood, I mean, I don't know who's the weirdest one of us, 
but we would all be very weird in our own ways. And I don't know who would be the cool kids that would say so-and-so is weird. Chances are a few of you would say that about me, be like, but he's kind of weird in this way. And I would be sitting there being like, no, y'all are the weird ones. That's how things work. I mean, that, that really is how things tend to operate. Well, what I want to do is I want to take that idea and I want to read uh, 1 Peter 2. And I'm going to be reading from the King James translation uh, for, for the, um, just for the first little bit here. And then I'll go back to the translation that uh, I'm used to reading from. <laughs> but I, I want to point something out in this passage. And I want to help us understand it a little bit better. 1 Peter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you were to have asked me when I was younger, what is a defining characteristic of a Christian? Or just what does it mean to be a Christian? One of the things I would have thought of, because of how much it was emphasized, I would have probably thought of being a peculiar people. And then I remember a time where I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I just thought, no, that can't be what that means. It can't mean that I'm peculiar because peculiar means different and weird, and that's not at all what he could possibly mean. And then I remember some people really emphasizing that's exactly what that means, that you're supposed to stand out and be different. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're considered odd because you're, you're not like the world. And then as I've gotten a little bit older, I've, I don't know for sure if I've come full circle, but I've landed on the fact that that probably is not the best translation of, of what the intent is of that one phrase. However, to act like we are not supposed to be different and not supposed to be considered odd is also is not true. So what I want to do is I want to talk about being a peculiar people this morning. And really what I want to focus on is the fact that we are supposed to be a purchased people. We are God's possession not only peculiar. That's what we're going to talk about for the next little bit. So let's just talk about what it means to be peculiar. The phrase peculiar people is actually used twice in the New Testament that I know of. Um, there could be other renderings of that word or that idea. 
in other places, but the only other place I know of where it really is said that exact way is Titus 2.14. But there are other places in the Old Testament that seem to carry the same basic idea. The interesting thing about the Old Testament passages is that I think there were six of them. Four out of the six really seem to be at a time where, where God is setting his people apart, giving them the law, uh, showing them how they were going to be um, living, the, the ordinances, the, 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 uh, the feastings. And he was, he was giving them things that were going to cause them to stand out. But what he says about them is that they were peculiar. All the other translations that I looked up, uh, that doesn't mean it was all the translations out there, but almost all of them seem to really focus on how that, that idea is not that they are to be odd, but they are to stand out as God's treasured people, his own people, his own possession. And when you look here in 1 Peter 2, and then you go over to Titus 2, it's really the same idea. It's not that, well, you're just supposed to stand out and that's all there is. It's, no, 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 you are special to God. You are God's own people. One of the definitions of the word, the Greek word that's used here in 1 Peter 2 and in Titus 2 is God's possession or God's property. That's how we're supposed to look at ourselves. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We'll get into this in a little bit, but that verse says that Christ redeemed us, bought us. And, and it's really the same idea here in, in 1 Peter 2. We are God's possession. We are his own special people. That's the idea of being peculiar, not being weird only, not being odd only, not just standing out only. Peculiar is a fine word to use, but almost all of the other translations say God's possession or his own possession. So that brings out the idea that we are owned and we are the property of God, which seems to be the gist of the word. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be owned by God? What does it mean to be his own possession? Well, I want to point out that I, I really do believe that means that we are special to God because we're his. I hope that all of us know that we're not special to God because of how special we are. We're only special to God because of what he is doing with us, what he has done with us, because we're his. Notice all the words in verse 9. He says that we're chosen race. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's how Peter has described Christians. And if you go back to verse 4, he says that Jesus is a living stone that is chosen and precious, but that we too are living stones to be built as a spiritual house and to be holy. Christ is the cornerstone and believers are living stones. This is what we are because of Christ and not just because of how we look and live. Well, I'll try to drive this home a little bit more later um, but what I really want us to understand is that it's not how you live that make you precious and it's not how you live that make you peculiar only it's who you are in God that make you peculiar and precious it's the fact that you're his possession back in Titus 2 we are peculiar in his own possession because we've been redeemed by Jesus not because I don't drink or because I stay away from whatever the thing is. Uh, it's not because I don't vape 
and I don't use, I don't have a jewel that I'm somehow a peculiar person. Um, those things actually look odd to me, but that's you know, a different uh, subject. I think, I think those things just look weird, but that's just me. But all the things that are normal in our culture, if I abstain from all those things, some might think I'm a peculiar person, but that doesn't mean I am showing that I'm God's possession. That just means I'm just being different. And that's really not what God wants for us only. He does want us to be different from the world because the world rejected Christ. The world has always rejected the people of God. And so we should stand out from the world in that way. But that's not the only reason we should be standing out. It's not because of how we keep our conduct honorable and live self-controlled. It's not because we put aside ungodliness or worldly passions. It's not because we live pure lives. Those things are true and they are expected for Christians. Those have always been the things that God wants from his people. I can't say that I am God's special possession, his own, but ignore or reject my part in this. But I also can't define myself as being his property and his possession because of how I live my life. We look and live a certain way because of who we are in God, and he wants us to do those things. I hope hope this is pretty clear. I, I think this is a pretty basic idea and premise, but I think it helps us to know how to apply this. You aren't who you are because of how you live. You are who you are because God's called you and because you've answered that call. Now, what you do after that is you live a certain way. So we are to be different. And that's weird. I mean, that's not weird. That's, that's uncomfortable for, pe- for some people because they don't want to look different. They don't want to be considered weird or odd. Uh, no, I don't know anybody that wants to be peculiar. I, if they do, somehow they really thrive on that. And that's, I just don't, I can't relate to that. I, I'm not going to say they're weird, but I can't relate to that. That's hard for me to understand why someone would want to be peculiar. But in Christ, we are choosing to be peculiar in some ways. Jesus prayed in the hearing of his disciples in John 17 that they would be sanctified by God's word. He told them that the world would hate them because it hated him. And then you think back to the Old Testament. Joseph was despised by his brothers for being special to their father. David was hated by Saul because he became God's anointed. Elijah was, was an outcast because he was a true prophet of God and stood out in an obvious way while others worshipped a false god. God's people are to be different and look different. Look at the three things that, that come before being, a, being God's own possession here in 1 Peter 2. A chosen race, okay? Those people in the Old Testament that were chosen by God looked different, and they were different. A royal priesthood, they stood out. They were very clear to everyone. And, and I realized that the people of God did want to be like the nations around them at times. But even in that effort, when it came down to having a king and to having God's anointed, it still looked different, and they were a holy nation. They weren't perfect in that. But that's what God wanted from them, and that's what they were. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and this passage came up in 1 Peter 2. And we were just talking about it and talking about what it means, talking about what it doesn't mean. He was talking about it in reference to peer pressure and how we are to stand out. And uh, we, we were just kind of talking about how when we were growing up and you know, sitting in 
Bible classes and our parents talking to us about things or, or grandparents talking to us about things that we didn't like to hear this. And that as we grew older, and you know, not just in our teenage years, but maybe almost in our college years, we, we rejected the idea, no, peculiar is not right. But now, I mean, we're both in our 30s. Uh, we both are somewhat grown, except for when we're around each other, then we don't act very grown sometimes, but it's because we've known each other so long. But now we've come full circle where we're fine and comfortable standing out being who God wants us to be. But we understand that that's not what defines us as a Christian. Christ defines us as Christians. God has always been the one to set apart who he wants to be special from all others. And he's the one that does that. He's the one that defines the terms of that. Even back in creation, God set man aside as different. If you want to go back and look at all the things, everything God created was good. But there was something that stood out about creation. When he created man, he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. He didn't say that about anything else. And then he even gave them roles to fill. Man was to have dominion over the creation, to fill the earth, to subdue it. And God said that the beasts and plants were meant for him. He didn't say that about anything else. He said that about man. In the same way that we are to be a peculiar people, we are to be God's own possession. That's how man was in creation. God set mankind aside to be special. Now, did mankind fulfill that and, to, and do that perfectly? Of course not. We understand that. Mankind did not stay in the likeness of God the way that he should have. And the, and the tough thing is that at times we realize that we don't stay God's possession like we should sometimes. But that doesn't mean that we should totally reject it. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't go back to God. We see that mankind did and we see that we should as well. Even when we find ourselves not adhering to who our owner is, which is God. But we are to be different. So here are a few things that, that we do see. If you go to you don't have to turn there if you, if you don't want to. But in Titus 2, 11 through 14, here are a few things that he says. He says that we're to be zealous for good works. Uh, that we, and that shows the purpose of God has, has for us as his possession. I can't try to accomplish good works unless I am different. I just can't. He says that we're to be zealous for good works. And then here in our passage that, that we've been reading in 1 Peter 2, let's continue in verse, in verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says that there in the, in the middle of verse 9 that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, I can't do that and fulfill the desires of the flesh. I cannot proclaim the excellencies of God and live a life that is in darkness. I have to be called out of darkness into light like we talked about this morning actually briefly. That is something that, that we must do. First John tells us that if we're going to say we have fellowship with God, we cannot walk in darkness. We must walk in light. 
And I had a conversation with someone recently who was pretty clear saying that, that she was doing things even recently that were not okay, not right, but she knows she has Jesus in her heart and she has this relationship with God inside of her at all times. And sometimes you just have to look at someone and say, I hear what you're saying, but you can't say you have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. And she said that, that even in the moment it was convicting to her that when she was doing those things. Well, again, that's all fine. And that's a good thing to have a, a tender heart like that. But none of us, none of us can say, I'm God's and still do whatever we want. I can't satisfy the flesh. I can't fulfill the desires that I want to fulfill. I have to actually go to battle against the flesh. He says that when we abstain from the passions of the flesh, he says those things are waging war against your soul. So we have to go to battle against those things. We have to care that our conduct is honorable even amongst unbelievers. It's not just that we put on a face when we're around Christians. We speak a certain way around Christians. If we speak a certain way around Christians and then when we're around non-believers or, or whatever you want to call them, people that we would consider they are worldly and we take on that language and we speak the same way they do because we don't want to stand out, we cannot say that we are God's own possession. We can't say we're part of this chosen race, or we can't say we're living like it. Let me phrase it that way. We can't say we're living like God's possession and act like that and speak like that. The third point that I would like us to consider is that God's people are purchased. I mentioned that earlier, that when it came down to Titus 2, it says that we're redeemed, right? God's people are purchased. So therefore, the world doesn't define how we are peculiar. When I'm focused on who I am and God first, rather than what the world looks like, it requires more thought and discernment from me. So I want to give you a couple examples. I think these are just a couple of examples of how, no matter which side you fall on these things, that I think both of these are, are fine to be on uh, both sides. of. I think they're fine to be on either side of this. But you can't just be looking at the world and say, the world does this, so I'm not going to be about that. And somehow think that that's exactly what God wants you to do. It takes more effort. It takes more discernment. It takes more thought, more study sometimes. Here's the first example. Many people go to the beach or go to pools in the summer. So many people do that. So should I not go because that's what many people do? Now, do we all know and understand that there are things that go on at those places that I probably shouldn't see that I probably don't want to be part of. Of course. I hope we're all understanding that there are a lot of things that go on at the beach that I don't need to be part of, that I don't, I don't need to look and participate in the same things. However, just because people go there and masses go there at a time, does that mean I should reject that and never go? Well, those are two different things. I'm saying that I don't want to go there because that's what people do. I'm really just wanting to go against the crowd. As opposed to saying, I don't want to go because I feel like I'm going to be tempted to look at things that I don't need to see. And I'm going to be tempted to participate in things that I really shouldn't participate in. Especially me, I'm a single guy. If I start going all the time down to the pool just to hang out with all the cute girls and everything, well, it's no problem, right? Well, it could be a problem. Now, that's not to say that immediately, hey, I'm sinning as soon as I go there. Or I shouldn't go to to the pool at the gym I go to. In fact, I shouldn't go to the gym, right? I mean, I should just somehow buy all the equipment and have it in my house because 
things people wear right now, it's so hard to, to have our eyes uh, to, to be self-controlled in what we look at and what we think. Well, look, the truth is that most of that is on me. I need to be self-controlled. I need to abstain from things. I need to be pure. And if I discern that I can't go to a place or participate in something because of that, well, that's fine. But I can't say I'm not going to do that just because people do that. Here's another example. Most people in the U.S. celebrate Halloween and Christmas. A vast majority. I don't know what the percentage is, so I'm not going to guess what it is. Should I not celebrate those things because it's popular? Or should I understand that they are not religious days and discern whether or not I will participate in those days? And should I do some homework, and this is something that I'm challenging myself to do because of conversations with a few of you, should I do some homework into what these things mean and then make a decision and see how they started, make a decision based on that? Or should I just say, it's pagan and that's all there is to it because the world does it. Now, if I want to say it's pagan because it's worshiping something that's a false god, that's, that's different than just saying the world does it, therefore I'm not doing it. Does that make sense? And again, I know some of you don't participate in those things. And I'm not at all saying that you should reconsider that. I believe that a few people in here that don't and their families that don't participate in those things have done their homework, have looked at it, and made a true decision and therefore a sacrifice that they're not going to participate in those things. How much of a sacrifice is it if my determination is that no matter what, if the world does it, I don't do it? That's not much effort. That's not taking a decision. That's I see it and I run the other way. And there are times when that's appropriate. But when it comes to all things in the world, I can't do that with all things. I'll give you a third example. Third example that I actually think that this would be something that would be pretty clear that we shouldn't participate in. But just because it's, I think it's pretty clear doesn't mean it's pretty clear to everybody. And this is something that I remember from when I was in, in high school, people talking about. You know, it's really common nowadays for, for people that are in a relationship. I mean, you try to save money, you do whatever you can. I mean, so you, so you move in together. And I remember hearing about this stuff and, and thinking like, well, that's clear. You shouldn't do that. But then I got in college and I remember hearing a lot of situations that, well, their logic kind of made sense of why they would move in together. And plus, I mean... They're going to get married. Well, just because the world does that doesn't mean it's okay. And I would even say that in that situation, don't let the fact that the world does it make us think that it is okay. It takes true effort to discern, to, to consider these things. And then to come down on the side where we think, okay, you know what? This is what's pleasing to God. And this is what's not pleasing to God. And then we have to be bold enough to actually stand out if need be. We have to be willing to take a risk of being considered weird or peculiar. What we're called to do is to deny ourselves, and that requires effort and truly seeking what God's will is. I can't just trust that what God would have me to do is the opposite of what the world is doing. We're not to notice what the world does and act accordingly. We are to see ourselves as being owned by God and act accordingly. And don't forget what we read in, in Titus 2 that we have been redeemed. Two other passages about being purchased. 
And actually, we've studied these in our 1 Corinthians class. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And 1 Corinthians 7, 23 says, You are bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. Being purchased by God, I don't want to say carries uh, consequence, but there are some repercussions for choosing that, for seeing that, you know what, I have been bought. I'm choosing to be redeemed by God. There are some things that follow because of that. I don't glorify myself, I glorify God. I don't care what men say. I'm not slaves to men, I'm slave to God. So here are just five points, I guess, to summarize what we should be doing and how we should be living. Don't look at what others do to determine what God would have you to do. Be holy and stay away from fleshly things, though. Come out of darkness and be in God's light. Take hold of God's mercy and be part of his people. Stay clean in your conduct and bring glory to God. When we talk about being a peculiar people, I think that's the appropriate way of, of looking at it. And I think it, taking the context of 1 Peter 2, it just makes sense. You look at everything else that he says here, and he's, I really think Peter's trying to convey, you are special to God, so live that. Show that. Proclaim the excellencies of God because he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is only because of his mercy that you have this opportunity and you can be part of his people. You can be considered his own special possession. So don't get caught up in the world. Live like exiles. Abstain from the world and its passions. Make sure your conduct is honorable among those that are outside. And you know what? Even if they speak evil against you, they see your good deeds. And even when Christ comes back, you know what? They'll give glory to God by saying, yeah, you know what? Blake lived this life. He lived like he was God's possession. You know, Josh, he, he actually lived this. I knew. I knew that that was what, what God wanted for us. But I rejected that. And I mocked it. I don't hope that that happens with anybody. But based on what he says here, that, that's what will happen. So my encouragement for us is, yeah, sometimes you're going to stand out. You're going to be different. You might be the weird one. But don't take the grade school mentality and think that that's something you re should reject. You need to embrace that because you're God's special possession. You're his own. You're owned by him. You're his property. And so when we live a certain way, our whole focus is to give God, God the glory in our life, not to just draw attention to ourselves. But if we draw attention to ourselves, that's okay, as long as we are giving God the glory. If what we do makes us stand out, then stand out, even in today's society, even if it means that we're considered unloving, even though that's not what we're trying to convey, even if it means we're considered not being accepting of people, even if it means we have to change around a lot of things in our life that causes our relationships to be damaged. We're God's property and God's possession. We're purchased people. We're bought with a great price. And we don't need to put that to shame or be ashamed of that. So I hope that some of these things were, have been helpful. I understand there are, it's a pretty broad topic, and I know that it's not, there are not a ton of very specific applications that I feel like I gave you. But I think that we can find applications for each of us in our own lives. If you have somehow 
found yourself in a situation where you need prayers because you're finding it difficult to put aside the fleshly desires of this life. Um, I, I know that we want to pray with you, we want to pray for you, and we'd like to help and study if that's what it needs, or if it just means that we spend some time together and talking about some things. We want to do that. Or if what you realize is that you haven't been actually redeemed yet. I don't know everyone's situation. If you realize you haven't been bought yet, you haven't taken hold of, of this great thing that God has granted us to be part of this royal priesthood, to be his possession, I would just encourage you to talk to somebody, whether it's during the song, you can talk to me, uh, or if it's after we wrap up, that's totally fine. We can talk up in the lobby, or if you want to call me sometime this week, or call somebody this week, just do that. We need to be dedicated to the Lord and to be his own special people. I hope this has been helpful.